Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hello and welcome to the Autosport Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Kalanorkas. Another weekend, another race at the Red Bull Ring, such is the unusual nature of the 2020 Formula One calendar. But unlike the instant field and attritional season opener last weekend, we were treated to a more conventional Grand Prix today, but that's not to say there weren't still plenty of talking points. Lewis Hamilton got off the podium mark in 2020 with a sublime victory ahead of his Mercedes teammate Valtteri Bottas, who had to come from behind to defeat Red Bull's Max Verstappen. In the pack behind, Alex Albon took fourth with what was ultimately a disappointing display, while Lando Norris grabbed fifth with yet another sensational last lap, as he pushed Sergio Perez down to fifth at the penultimate corner after the Racing Point driver had damaged his car in a clash with Albon that was near identical to the Red Bull drivers with Lewis Hamilton last weekend. That put a downbeat note on what was a brilliant drive from P17 on the grid for Perez and as we shall come on to discuss, his result and that of his teammates Lance Stroll is under threat because Renault has protested the legality of the controversial RP20 car with the Styrian Grand Prix stewards and they have just decided, as we were about to hit record for this podcast, that there is indeed a case to answer and that will be heard at a later date so we'll get onto that shortly. But first let's dive into the race which featured another shocking collision between the Ferrari drivers Charles Leclerc and Sebastian Vettel which is now two in four races after Brazil 2019. And so with me tonight are Stuart Codling and Luke Smith and live from Austria is Jonathan Noble. But I'm going to go first to Stuart Codling because I'd like to reveal to the listeners, if I may, Codders, that you have become, uh, I mean, you were already something of a, of a, you know, a paddock highlight. I think that's fair to say. But even remotely, you are, you are causing somewhat of a stir with your background on various Zoom and, you know, video calls, confusing various team principals and drivers. Uh, I, I have no doubt. It certainly confused me whenever I see you in one. What's behind the, these particular antics, Codders? Maverick is the word you're looking for, I think. Other people have other words for it. It adds a note of levity to the proceedings because I think a lot of the drivers and and other people find it a little bit awkward sitting down in front of a a virtual crowd. It it helps get a bit of a result from the people you're talking to because they they enjoy it and they engage with it and they find it funny. Um, The other day I interviewed Claire Williams over Teams and had as my background their motorhome and she said oh that's you know that's that's a really nice thought but we've had various different backgrounds for Haas last week I had Brian Blessed's Prison Planet from television's Blake 7 the third episode of that program for for aficionados of 1970s sci-fi featuring Brian Blessed um we've also seen the the foyer from Faulty Towers Grace Brothers from Are You Being Served and today I deployed in the Renault 
press conference, René Artois' Café from Aloha, which I thought was a highly convivial and appropriate background for a French team. I believe this is all Luke Smith's fault because he showed you how to change your background in teams a good a good many months ago. I kind of drop into a media session thinking, oh, I'm going to talk to such and such driver or team principal. And then there's Codders. And I always have to message him and say, I have no idea what 80s TV show that is. Can you explain further? And it'll be, oh, of course it was this or that or I've never watched Blake 7 or whatever it's called but uh, yes I'm sorry about that guys for, for showing him how to do this I have to say, I do love the look on your face when I pop up with a, with a mad background. I think was was with the Gunter Steiner. I had an Austrian mountain top. That background. was it, yeah. And I was struggling to keep a straight face all the way through that session because obviously no one else knows what I'm laughing at. I tried to find one of an Austrian beer hall, but uh, the the results you get when you type that into Google are quite unsavoury. So uh, this is quite a, a 2020 discussion as we all, as we all adapt to the new ways of working with coronavirus. But let's get into something much more normal, and in fact, it's becoming normal. Ferrari drivers colliding. It happened on lap one, which is why we're going to talk about it first. Charles Leclerc takes full blame. I mean, there's not much he could do. He's banged to rights there. He was completely at fault. There was space on the inside of the uphill turn three and he went for it, but it was always going to close. Uh, Sebastian Vettel had a poor start. And as uh, Kevin Magnussen was on his outside, Leclerc dives in, Vettel turns in and Leclerc goes over the curbs and into his teammate wrecking his rear wing. Both Ferrari cars ultimately out. So, Codders, I mean, are you are you in agreement with Leclerc that he was completely at fault? Totally. I mean, he was as guilty as a puppy next to a pile of poo, basically. One of the good things about being at home rather than um, at a Grand Prix venue is, uh, you know, I'm a Sky Sports subscriber, I was able to rewind at my leisure and watch it over and over again. And, and you can see it happening from a mile off, even... Even as it, it, somewhere towards his left, Kevin Magnussen is overtaking Daniel Kvyat to insert himself around the outside into turn three. It's it's all those options are narrowing. He just goes for it. And you, you can actually, if you watch it again in slow-mo, he actually commits to it, thinks, oh, this is a bad idea. And then he mentally commits the sunk cost fallacy and thinks, you know, well, I'm here now. I'm going to go for it anyway. And boom, that's that's when they smack into one another. So um, it was right that he apologised because he was totally at fault. There was nowhere else for Vettel to go. That was the sort of accident I used to see quite often when I lived in London and commuted on motorcycle. And you'd go around the Wandsworth one-way system and see scooterists try to undertake buses at the exit into a gap that they thought, oh, you know, I can get through that. And the bus turns in. You think, I'd stop now, mate. I'd stop now. No, don't do it. And boom, there they go. It reminded me somewhat of uh, Vettel and Raikkonen and Max Verstappen at the start in Singapore in that in that incident, Vettel just didn't seem to think that Verstappen would be on his outside. But this one was almost more, sorry, on the outside of Raikkonen that was, but this one almost more inex- more inexcusable because Leclerc was coming from behind everyone. He had he had the full view of what was going on and yet still managed to have a catastrophic accident. And John, this has been a this has been a disastrous weekend for Ferrari. There was humiliation in qualifying. Leclerc picked up a penalty. Vettel not able to challenge anyone in the wet when he said that that was maybe their only hope of, of getting further up the grid. And Mattia Bonotto comes out and says, you know, this isn't good enough for the name of Ferrari. So what can the team do from this point? Yeah, I can't remember a weekend that's been so poor for Ferrari on, on all fronts, really. Um, yeah, I think it's correct. They weren't in the top eight in any session all weekend. You know, signs of where they've gone to. Uh, and as invariably happens in Formula One, when you're on the back foot, something else will happen to throw you even further back. Um, they had the updates on the car, which obviously they needed a race to understand them fully after the kind of mixed conditions of the weekend. They haven't got that. So, which is a bit similar to what happened at Haas last year at Silverstone, if you remember, when they were trying to evaluate updates and then Grosjean and Magnussen collided with each other. Um, yeah, I don't know how they bounce back from this, really, but they've only got a few days to get going, really. And I think what they need is a proper, decent weekend in Hungary, because if their problem is only straight line, which they've been suggesting, you know, majority of their lack of pace is because they're not so quick in the straights, then Hungary should be better for them. They claim their car's better. And the twisty stuff and the slow speeds, so perfect, perfect opportunity for them to put this behind them, because if they don't have a strong weekend in Hungary, if it's another repeat like this, you know, the Italian media is going to be all over them. 
Speaking of the media, Luke, what, what did you make of Ferrari's response? Because they, they cancelled their post-race session, which was going to take place on another another call that I don't know if that app would have worked for Codders' uh, antics, but nevertheless. But Matteo Bonasso did speak to the media and gave basically a word-for-word exact reply to each one when he spoke to the TV. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so we got an email through saying that the sessions have been cancelled. Um, apparently Vessel had already left the circuit pretty swiftly after uh, the incident happened and he'd spoken to Leclerc and Bonosso. Uh, and then, yeah, we got sent, you get sent sort of the TV audio file basically and listened through. And Bonosso pretty much word for word said, it's a painful conclusion to, to the weekend for us. Uh, this is not a time to place blame or responsibility which I thought was quite interesting given Leclerc was pretty open in, in putting his hands up and saying, like, I, I got it wrong and uh, was was very, very honest about that. He said, I'm the guilty one. Um, I believe he used some far stronger language talking about himself on French TV as well. Um, but, but also, yeah, it was a very sort of bog standard answer and just sort of said, oh, it's all about remaining united and sort of Ferrari getting together and everything. But then to cancel the media session, I mean, I, I, I do understand from the point of view of that, well, if Vettel's left, then it would just be Bonotto talking by himself. Maybe, I don't know. But it would also be a chance to, I guess, give sort of more of an explanation and talk about some of the wider issues at play here. I mean, obviously, we've seen the, the tension between the clerk and Vettel in the past. This wasn't a repeat of Brazil last year in the sense of that it was two drivers sort of trying to assert their dominance like I think it was a racing incident that Leclerc got completely wrong and was very honest in admitting to but I think there's still it still would have been good for Ferrari to sort of give some response and sort of some wider explanation in terms of the issues at play here because yeah not getting the chance to get two race distances worth of um, data on the new updates that's that's massive like that's absolutely huge they lost out on that and they now they they said after friday's uh, after saturday's qualifying sorry um they said that it was uh, the result was uh, not not a result befitting a team of the name of ferrari and binotto was very very like scathing about his own team's performance and sort of said that the updates hadn't given the the desired boost in in the rain, but there was still the hope that going into the race that things would be would be better. Um, but again, we don't know. We just have no idea where Ferrari stand. Like we don't know if this updated package, uh, which we will see in full in Hungary, is actually enough to get them back to being at the head of the midfield or the, or the third fastest team. Um, and to- totally have to agree with John that if they don't perform in Hungary next weekend, then I think their season is looking like it's going to be a really, really long and painful one. Yeah, I mean, when I crunched the numbers after FP2 on Friday, it did look like Ferrari had made a slight improvement. The, pro- the problem was, so did everybody else because it was a back-to-back weekend with, with last season, although notably on in terms of ultimate lap pace, has to go a slight step backwards. Um, but Codders, I mean, the engine loss that Ferrari is facing compared to, to 2019, how much do you reckon that is contributing to their current problems? Seems to be quite a lot, doesn't it? And uh, it's interesting that a lot of their customers are stepping back from actually commenting on that. So you had Mattia Bonotto last week saying that in terms of the, the one second, the best part of one second, they're taken as a step back. Seven tenths was the engine, three tenths was aero. It's interesting in itself. The Haas team, uh, people usually go to Kevin Magnussen for a quote because he's quite feisty, but he was very diplomatic and he stepped back from blaming the engine. Correlation doesn't equal causation, but you do have to look at the, the fact that the Ferrari customers are propping up the back end of the grid and not making progress forwards um, obviously Magnussen today did have a, a yo-yo Grand Prix where he was sort of like 11th or 12th at the beginning went backwards over the opening stint and then owing to um, you know whatever whatever then happened he was able to make his way back other people having problems that the Alpha Tories having a terrible time on the hard tyre etc etc he came back but it, it wasn't a great day to be using a Ferrari. You look at the Alfa, the, the Alfa Romeos, Kimi Raikkonen, someone who's arguably held on too long in Formula One, held on a very, very long time to his first set of tyres. And, uh, and that, that to me struck, it, it was a very, very odd strategy to, to do. So there seems to be desperation all the way down through the, the ranks of Ferrari customers. Indeed, one uh, one word in defence of Kevin Magnussen was that he did actually pick up damage in that collision with Leclerc and Vettel because he was on the outside of Vettel. So Vettel's car goes slamming into Magnussen and damages the sort of bargeboard area to the right of his car. But obviously, he did get biffed. Yes, 
Indeed. We don't know how much, obviously, that, that contributed to his race result, but it can't have been very helpful. Two teammates colliding is the ridiculous, so let's move on to the sublime, which was Lewis Hamilton. John, he never looks under pressure in the race. He produced a stunning performance in qualifying, 1.2 seconds ahead of Max Verstappen when it came to pole position. How good was he this weekend? And what, what, a, what a hit back was it from his defeat last weekend to Valtteri Bottas? Well, it's cl- classic Lewis, isn't it? When everyone's ready to you know, write him off and think, oh, this is it. This is the year where Bottas 3.0 and um, he's going to be sensational. And Lewis is distracted by everything off track, rocks up, pulls off perhaps one of the greatest wet weather laps we've seen. I mean, to be 1.2 seconds quicker than anybody. I mean, that was that was the gap from P2 to P10, I think, was 1.2 seconds. So that's, you know, it's a phenomenal um, performance. You know, even though the Mercedes is a, is a better car, the best car at the moment, there's still an incredible gap in modern Formula One. And then today, I mean, it wasn't blisteringly dominant as in he pulled out 30 seconds clear, but I think he had it all under control. Obviously managing the, the pace, he didn't want to overstress the car too much. But it's a five second gap. Max knew there was no point pushing harder because the more he tried to close it, the more Lewis would just edge away again, controlled, back on top. Fine, he's not leading the championship, but I think it's an important weekend just to have not to have allowed Bottas to get another win. Um, and it rolls on. I hope you're going to give him 11 out of 10 in your controversial driver ratings, Alex. I mean, obviously I can't do that because that's against maths, but I can give you a sneak (laughs) preview and say that uh, Hamilton is the only candidate for a 10. Doesn't mean he's going to get it, but he's the only candidate. I I think that that, the the in-car of that is going to be persist on YouTube along the lines of that one of Senna at Monaco in 1989. It's, It's a phenomenal lap. It's actually makes you want to sort of your eyeballs go on stalks really it's, it's incredible Luke you you went to the uh, well we virtually went to the session after the race of, of uh, team Mercedes team principal Toto Wolf what was his assessment of Lewis Hamilton this weekend full of praise like he said yesterday that Lewis's qualifying lap was not, not from this world I believe were the exact words he used um, and again in the race today he said that it was all it was all very much in hand like Lewis was just very controlled very smooth no issues at all and um, I think we saw towards the end of the first stint when Verstappen maybe started to make a, a couple of inroads and started to push but then Lewis just popped in a couple of fast slaps and that was it like it was pretty clear there was no point of trying to bridge that gap um, and yeah I mean Toso he just said that it was just another great team effort after all the uh, issues last week with the gearbox and that those were all resolved uh, for this weekend and he can't say for sure that they're going away completely but the uh, fixes meant that neither Hamilton nor Bottas had to worry about running over the curbs too much um, in in the race that they were able to I just think take things a little bit more smoothly so that was uh, uh, very impressive from Mercedes to react as they did in such a short space of time and Lewis I mean it's just I think it's just another it's another remarkable display and I think a lot of this weekend will be remembered for that qualifying lap I think as Cotter said like it will be remembered as one of the all-time great laps but then it's just delivering it in the race as well. Like there wasn't there wasn't really a moment where you thought, oh, he might be in a bit of trouble here. Like he was just in complete control. Um, he also becomes only the second driver in F1 history to win a race in three separate decades uh, in the 2000s, 2010s, and 2020s. Uh, Jack Brabham being the first. Uh, look at the numbers as well. He's going to be at 100 poles and 100 wins probably in the next couple of years, as long as he keeps going. Uh, just mind blowing numbers, really. Indeed, and I will be nicking that stat for my magazine report. That I'm you are welcome. Auto sports. <laughs> well, Codders, well, let's stay with Mercedes. What did you make of Valtteri Bottas today? He said he was st- still seemed to be a bit annoyed with himself about his qualifying performance, and that ultimately ended up being the difference. Although he did, he did, he did have a, a brake problem, a glazed uh, front right brake, but he still felt that he could have done better despite that. Um, Maximised the result, but obviously we never got to see him up against Lewis. So, what did you make of, uh, of Bottas today? I think he did well today. I, I, I find the whole business of the glazed front brake a little bit bizarre. Uh, and let, let's have the caveat that obviously these are these are fully composite materials. Um, so you have a carbon disc as well as a carbon pad. But, you know, in, in, in my previous years, um, after my seven years in the catering industry, Luke, I did spend a little while in the motorbike arena. Occasionally you would be given a test bike that had glazed brakes and they were a nightmare and 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 when when people talk about that having glaze on a brake it's not the the disc itself 
that is the problem. It's the friction material, the pad, that has been damaged by having too much heat put through it at any given time. And obviously you, you can you can get that in a wet session in a Grand Prix because you're you're trying to put heat into the brakes and you can overshoot and, and get a bit of glazing. But generally speaking, when you when you glaze a pad, that plat that pad is toast. You have to replace it. So one of the other journalists in the Toto Media session made the very astute observation that they did not change the material of that brake in Park Ferme or between the race, between qualifying and the race, which is a bit weird. I have to say, so I, I, it, it, it's odd. I can I can buy it as a reason for um, Valtteri having problems in qualifying, but I do find it very weird that they didn't change the brake pads or or even the rotor um, between qualifying the race. So that's odd. In in terms of the race, I think he did well. He benefited from Alex Albon being on the missing list, though, didn't he? Because it gave them an element of tactical flexibility. And, and and Verstappen was in effect hung out to dry by the absence of his teammate, a little bit like Hungary last year when both Bottas and uh, Pierre Gasly were were not where they ought to be, which enabled Lewis to have have a bonus stop and 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 come through and take the win. So Valtteri had all ended up with all the time in the world to catch Max. That similarity to Hungary 2019 occurred to me as well during the race cutters. Um, I asked Verstappen about this in the press conference and he just, he, he said it wasn't. I mean, I didn't out, outright state, was it like Hungary last year? But it was more, did the fact that you didn't have a teammate with you, did that cost you against the Mercedes today? And he was sort of like, no, we were just, we were just too slow overall. There was nothing we really could have done. But it certainly, I mean, the, the facts of the race are that because there was no threat to Bottas behind, Mercedes were able to, were able to play Bottas as the undercut against Verstappen and that's ultimately what got him ahead so Red Bull whatever they did they either gave up track position or they kept track position and left themselves vulnerable at the end of the race that's the option that they picked and left uh, they said Horner later on said as, as John as you know you're in that session as well that Max understood understood that decision but I just just going into some of the numbers of the laps just to just to I mean I don't want to beat up on Albon but it he basically lost a second per lap to Verstappen in the first stint. That's pretty damning. That's that's a long way off. What did Christian Horner have to say about that? Was it all down to that first stint? Because he was certainly very praising about it being a, a race of two halves for Albon. Yeah, he did. He talked about a race of two halves. On heavy fuel, Alex wasn't comfortable with the car and the pace wasn't there, but then it switched around at the end. But irrespective of, um, you know, being uncomfortable on high fuel, you're in a Red Bull. You are expected to perform pretty much near as you can get to Max Verstappen. I don't think anyone is expecting Alex to, you know, rock into a Red Bull in his second season in Formula One and be battling Max wheel to wheel. But I think there is an expectation that Red Bull need a second driver much, much closer than that. Uh, and I think the difference between Hungary last year and what we saw today was that today the Red Bull wasn't quick enough to win that race. Even if, you know, Alex had been shadowing him and um, Mercedes didn't have the option to try and undercut, Max wasn't going to win that race. Um, on pace, even if he hadn't damaged the front wing or the, the rear wing and lost um, performance through that. Um, and I think it was pretty telling that Max, you know, lots of comments from him in that press conference afterwards that we're just too slow, more work to do, we aren't quick enough. Um, I think they realised the kind of the uphill battle they now have. And I think they've got as important a weekend in Hungary uh, as Ferrari, really. They, it's, it's, it's odd, isn't it, John? Because... I got the impression sort of this time last week, maybe a few days earlier, that they felt like they were ready to do a job on Mercedes, didn't they? They kind of thought this is a circuit that's good for us. Historically, we've performed well here. And they started piling on the pressure, the the protest about the DAS, screwing Lewis over after qualifying. It all felt like they were kind of mentally turning the thumbscrews. And yet the performance isn't there for them to do the job on track. Yeah, I think they left last weekend thinking they could have won with both cars. I think they felt that if Max hadn't stopped, the pace was so strong in that those first 11 laps he was in that, you know, when Merck hit trouble, he would have pounced. And they felt that Alex would have won um, if he hadn't collided with Lewis and um, lost out then. But the reality of last week was you were dealing with a hobbled Mercedes that was backing off by an awful lot. And Alex had been brought in to play A by his safety cars and B um, by then opting for an aggressive strategy. So I think there was a sense of them heading into today's race thinking they could take the fight to Lewis. But I think the reality is they're further behind than they wanted to be. Um, but, you know, there are some 
little shoots of promise there for them. I think their pace, I think they see in turns three and four um, here that they were better than the Mercedes. They were losing a lot of ground on the straights. So I think this is why Hungary is important for them, that it's a track that suited Red Bull in the past. It shouldn't suit the Mercedes straight line speed advantage. But so I think if we go next weekend and Red Bull are this far behind Mercedes again, then it's a long, long way back for them for the title. Indeed, and it was interesting to hear Verstappen uh, in the press conference saying that it was grip and power that they need to improve on. So potentially a, a call to Honda there, we don't know. But Luke, what did, what did you make of Verstappen's performance? I think he, he did all he could, really. I think um, I don't think there's any shame in losing in losing to a Mercedes, given that, that the car is just fundamentally faster. I think we saw a bit of brilliance from him in the in the closing stages when Valtteri Bottas was uh, lining him up for a move. And we've got three DRS zones and the two the main straight the straight from turn one up to turn three and then from turn three to turn four I mean it's I think there's a good case for bidding that really because it does just allow for these really really easy passes and we saw through the sort of F3 races and even in the F1 just these cars just flying past getting the move done like way before the corner and that was that um, and Bottas kind of lined Bottas uh, sorry Bottas lined Verstappen up uh, the first time to do that and you kind of thought, okay, well, that's that. But then Verstappen hung it around the outside and kind of did the opposite to um, uh, to what Hamilton and Albon had last week, where he sort of used that same kind of thinking to defend and and held on brilliantly. And that gave him the the inside uh, for for turn five. And it was a really really clever move. And there's a thing a part of me that was thinking, like, oh, he could he could do this. Like he could he could keep Bottas back. And then the next lap, Bottas just flew past him on that straight. So it's, uh, yeah, the, the tyres were absolutely gone by then. Red Bull then just thought, let's bring him in, get the bonus point for the fastest lap, which they didn't do that. Um, but no, a really good display. And I think that that's really all he can do right now. Um, I think it's clear that Mercedes are a step ahead Red Bull, particularly on a track such as the Red Bull ring. Tosa Wolf said after the race that you, you can't rule Red Bull out. He said it's in the slow corners where there is the, he thinks has the sort of, he thinks that Mercedes are most vulnerable compared to Red Bull. Um, Hungary next weekend, that is a lot of slow corners, so it should work more in their favour. And uh, yeah, but I definitely think he could have benefited from having a rear gunner and some support from his teammate. Even if it wasn't enough to win the race, I think it would have been at least uh, a bit more pressure on Mercedes. And I think next weekend that Red Bull really need both of their cars to be punching up there and trying to uh, apply a bit of pressure because otherwise Mercedes could just uh, walk much of this season. He was on a bit of a hiding to nothing with that attempt to get fastest lap because when he came out of the pits, he was delivered into that Magnussen, Giovinazzi, Grosjean train. So he was always going to spend the last few laps trying to get around them so we're prattling around with each other rather than actually setting the fastest lap wasn't he yeah that's very true just to end on on Albon I mean just to back up what Horner said about it being a race of two half the numbers the numbers do indeed back that up he was very very close to Valtteri Bottas's pace which is what the the comparison Horner made between Bottas and Albon but it did seem that he made a significant step in pace when he suddenly becomes under massive pressure from racing point Sergio Perez who Luke you and I pretty much lambasted him I said I certainly did yesterday after qualifying because he ends up P17 in what we have now seen is a phenomenally quick car. He charges through the field. He was up threatening the you know the, the, the top 10 after quite you know not very many laps at all in the race today. Perez suddenly comes through, puts in some great overtakes, gets by his teammate, charges up after Alexander Albon. And that's suddenly where the pace really kicks in for Albon. And you just think, well, it probably shouldn't have taken pressure from another car to have made that happen for you. But let's move on to Racing Point. A great drive from Perez, undone, and we're kind of sort of staying with Albon, I appreciate, with that move at the end. It's a near carbon copy, as I said at the beginning of this episode, to what happened with Lewis Hamilton last week, except in this instance, it's actually Albon on the defensive. Albon, he leaves a lot of space to the inside of turn four. Perez goes for it. He's got more grip. He says it was his only chance. Well, it wasn't quite towards the end of the race, and he seemed to be closing on it, closing in on Albon at a rapid rate of knots. And he just understeers into him. You see it for the onboard from Albon. He suddenly, he, he has to really, you know, wrestle the car, holds it, this time manages to carry on. Perez breaks his front wing and it costs him so much time. His engineer comes on the radio, says you've got 12 seconds to the cars behind. He's got Gasly in between, his lap doesn't matter. And he loses all of that in the next in the next lap or so. And in the end, Lando Norris beats him at the very, very end. So what did we make? Codders, let's come to you. What did we make of Racing Point's pace and Sergio Perez's clumsiness at the end? Well, their pace has got a lot of their opposition rattled, as evinced by Renault lodging a protest. And certainly, the the Renault drivers were talking, you know, in in what some journalists would, you know, 
dial a cliche, talk about in hushed tones about the, the pace of the, the racing point. It's been impressive in dry conditions. In the wet, not so much, but I suppose that shows that, you know, you can take a few pictures of a car and clone it, but um, you, you don't have necessarily have the know-how and the wherewithal to set it up for, for wet conditions. Um, I thought Perez's race was really impressive up until then, and he was when he was interviewed after the race, I think he realised he'd dropped a clanger, and it was moderately un unusual for him. You know, he's someone who's learned to make the best use of his tyres. He, he drove, a, a, I'd say, if, if I were composing Autosport's driver rankings, I'd have given him a 9 out of 10 up until that point. And, and now, now, Alex, you're in a quandary. It was a little bit clumsy. He made a set of soft tyres last until lap 38, which is pretty remarkable. Only Lando Norris and, and Kimi Raikkonen sort of uh, went longer into the race on that. And so he was he was well set. He should actually have had a tyre advantage for, for more laps. So he had more time. So it was possibly a little bit of impetuousness creeping in. Well, I can tell you now he will indeed not be earning a nine and um, yeah, not, not even close to it, actually, judging by the rough note that I have made. Not 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 too bad because his performance was incredible in the race, but bad qualifying, out, out qualified by his teammate and then, yeah, cat handed error at the end. Cost him, cost him and, a, and a slower car got by in Lando Norris. Uh, so, John, let's let's stay on this hot button issue, the Renault protest. What exactly have they gone after Racing Point for? The issue is obviously the the pink Mercedes or uh, it's quite funny whenever you speak to Andreas Seidel at McLaren about the racing point, he doesn't refer to it as racing point, he refers to it as last year's Mercedes. They're fairly open, they've taken inspiration they say from the Mercedes and what they've done is fully legitimate and passed by the FIA but Renault in particular aren't convinced, they think it's crossed the line of what is and isn't allowed uh, in Formula 1 uh, and the, I think the protest tonight revolves around the brake duct design. Brake ducts these days are you know, important aero elements of the car. Um, and I think their suspicion is that the, the racing point brake ducts are identical to last year's Mercedes. They've been impounded. Um, the FI's asked racing point and asked Mercedes as well to submit last year's brake ducts. So we'll have a, a proper, proper evaluation of is this a copy or not? basically. But that racing point is phenomenally fast. We're not just talking, you know, this team's moved to the front of the midfield. When Sergio was in clean air today, he was lapping as quick as Lewis Hamilton, well up there. And I can't help but feel that the team must feel they lost potential podium, maybe even, you know, a second place today. If that car started near the front of the pack, had been running in clean air um, and they were able to control the pace rather than taking stuff out of the tyres by battling and overtaking and charging through who knows what what's possible from that car, but it's it's sorted, it's planted, it's in control. They just need to learn, I think, to how to extract the pace from it in all different conditions. They're obviously good uh, in the stable conditions. We've seen on both Fridays, they've been good in FP2, which all the teams knew could have decided the grid. They were well up there when everyone was pushing a little bit. So the pace is there. They're the third quickest, definitely the third quickest team, potentially the second quickest team. And I'd like to see a, a completely clear weekend to see what's possible. Yeah, Stroll said that um, on, on TV afterwards that they debatably have the uh, second or third fastest car. So that's certainly a worry. And you can imagine that, as we know, photographers are paid by the... T a lot of photographers are paid by the teams to take spy shots. That, well, they're in, that they're in team kit now, aren't they? Because of the coronavirus <laughs> protocols. So there's definitely well, no yeah. trying to disguise it. Obviously, some pictures have been shared and, and Renault's technical people have been looking very carefully at last year's Mercedes and this year's tracing point, as some people have called the car. And, and they thought, OK, right, well, we've got the smoking gun here. So, so yeah, that'd be, it'd be interesting to see how it shakes out. It's also a defining argument for Formula One's future, because if the FIA say, yes, it's a blatant copy, it's identical, but it doesn't breach the regulations, then suddenly you've got to change the business model for all teams. So if you want to be successful in fighting up there against the quickest car, best way to do it isn't necessarily to design your way and develop your way yourself. It's just control C, control V uh, and unleash it. So that's a whole can of worms is if that's where we want Formula One to go in the future. Is there not an argument to be made that Formula One history is littered with teams copying other innovations from other teams or is this just a, a whole step different or a step further? Van Wall 
bought a Maserati and uh, stripped it, weighed every little bit of it. They bought a Ferrari in 1949 and gave it back because it was crap after they'd weighed it and, and, and measured it. So it, it, it's, it's, it's gone on since Nuvolari was a boy, basically. Uh, it's just nowadays it's a little bit more scientific because they, they pay photographers to spy on one. There's a lot of photographers... Maybe not now in 2020 in, in the COVID-19 era, but certainly up until this season, there were photographers operating in the paddock who'd never had a picture published anywhere, who were basically just being paid to take spy shots. Well, I don't think anyone will be buying the, the 2020 Ferrari, sadly. It's interesting you, the point you raised there about potential images or, or something that's been confirmed, Codders, because there is a question of why now from Renault? For instance, that you know, we've had a whole other weekend. We saw Red Bull wasted absolutely no time in protesting Das at the Austrian Grand Prix. So why, John? Why don't we come to you? Why do you think Renault have perhaps waited? Why did they not go? Well, as soon as the racing point has run in first practice at the Austrian Grand Prix, I'm gonna we're gonna protest that car. Today was the first confirmation of just how blindingly quick that racing point is. We'd seen elements of it last week, um, in, especially in Friday practice, that had a fairly poor qualifying and. They came through again on the, the Sunday, but it didn't really happen. But I think today's been the reality for everybody that as things stand, Racing Point are going to finish third in the Constructors' Championship this year, barring a you know big change of form. So you're now costing teams like McLaren and Renault a place in the Championship. That's a lot of Constructors' money. So I think you know Renault will want answers because their board are going to ask, hang on a minute, why is this? Why are we spending all this money to develop our own car to go slower than a in effect, a small budget team that's just copied another outfit. So I think it's as much about getting clarity from the FIA on what is and isn't allowed from now on as it is about you know getting this result overturned. And it'd be very interesting to see the outcome because Racing Point are insistent that they've done everything right. I, I did an interview with uh, with Otmar Zafnau and Andrew Green, you know, back back at the start of lockdown when we were sort of we we we, we were wondering what we were going to put in our magazines and uh, and on our website. So we we were like, right, let's go for a controversial Racing Point, see what we can get. And Andrew Green said, well, we we asked the FIA to come to the factory, we showed them what we were doing, and they said it was all fine. So it's going to come down to the sort of the fine details of of, of what everything has been brought in. I would guess. Come down to lawyers won't it i think also the fact that mclaren as well they've said that as much as andrea seidel may or and it, i agree with john like it's really funny how every reference it's oh last year's mercedes and it's become a running joke but he said last week there's he didn't see any grounds for a protest so mclaren weren't going to act upon it so i do wonder like has has something emerged that has maybe made renault jump and it might make mclaren think oh, well maybe I, i'm not sure here um that'll be a question that assuming this isn't resolved by next ne- next Thursday, next Friday, they will definitely put to Andreas and say, look, where, has your view changed because of, of Renault's action? Um, and it'll just be interesting to see how quickly the FIA gets on top of this. And if they were to deem it uh, illegal, how quickly Racing Point would be able to get a fix in place to make sure that they would comply with the regulations. Because with such a condensed calendar, it's uh, it's another curveball for, for them to consider should the lawyers uh, decide to side with Renault. I do wonder, though, if McLaren was sticking with Renault Power next season, whether they would be a bit more <laughs> angsty about the, the situation Very than they are point. at the moment. Because, you know, Mercedes and Racing Point are working closer together. And I don't think politically it would make sense for McLaren to kick up a stink at a time when you're about to jump in bed with uh, that very same team. Let's stay with Renault. It was it was an interesting it was an interesting afternoon for them because Daniel Ricciardo tried a different strategy, started on the median tires, didn't quite work out for him. In in no small part, quite possibly due to a battle with his own teammate Esteban Ocon. Ricardo seemed to have a, a lot more pace in the early stages. Ocon had done a fantastic qualifying session, really, really stepped it up, I thought, after a bit of a bit of an underwhelming return to Formula One last weekend. Uh, so yes, there was a, an interesting dynamic going on there, ultimately taken away by Ocon's retirement when it came to cooling, uh, a cooling issues, what the team has said, which obviously is what put Ricardo out of the race last weekend. So what did you make of Renault this afternoon? We, we had the opportunity to grill the Renault drivers this evening. I had my uh, Rene Artois cafe from a lower low teams background on and um, uh, I did put the question to to Daniel about that little battle they had where I I think it it was lap 18 where he sort of tried to do the shimmy around turn 14. Uh, Esteban sort of firmly but fairly rebuffed him and that they didn't touch one another. 
and then the next time around Daniel licked the stamp and sent it and, and, and made it happen but all the while before that Daniel had been on the radio suggesting to the team in, in certain coded phrasings that he ought to be passed. Daniel was quite diplomatic about it in his response he said that um, it was being discussed on the pit wall but there was no order at that point for them to swap places so he, he said that he, he imagined that it would be coming but he was going to do it anyway and for me that was racing driver speak for it wasn't happening soon enough for me I needed to be passed it should have happened two or three laps ago so I just forced the issue anyway and I went and did it so Renault were about four laps off the pace in getting round to issuing team orders that that Ricardo basically made sure that they didn't have to make but yeah, you know, if, if, if you're prattling around in the wake of your teammate, you're using your tyres up. And if you're on medium tyres and theoretically hoping to go longer into the race before you change them, then all that time you're spending in the dirty air of your teammate, you're, you're burning off the, the use of your tyres. Uh, and when you look at it, when did Ricardo stop? Lap 37. Uh, Lando Norris made soft tyres last two laps longer. So in effect, the whole benefit of starting on the harder tyre compound was neutralised and of course Sergio Perez I'm sure Ocon's future teammate wouldn't have kicked up a stink in that scenario <laughs> seriously <laughs> come on when did Fernando Alonso pick up an American accent all that time in Indy clearly I can't roll my R's so uh, it, what, what he would say is ridiculous <laughs> I am interested like he because I, I think um, Cyril Abitbal said the other day that uh, and this is a complete tangent, but that Fernando didn't didn't really care about 2021. Like it's all about 2022 when Renault can make that step forward. So I do kind of think like if we have races like this next year, will Fernando still not care, or will we sort of see some of that old Fernando come back? In? I don't know. I think it's going to be an interesting dynamic to watch. Fernando Fernando cares every single lap he's ever in a racing car. That's what makes him Fernando Alonso and makes him so brilliant. So all the talk. He can do all the talk he wants now that next year is a building platform and doesn't matter. He'll be pushing to the max and will be exploiting everything and shouting and pushing and drilling that team to make improvements. Well, by all accounts, he gave Toyota a pretty uh, pretty hard time in the World Endurance Championship when there was no opposition. It was just two cars from the same team fighting each other. So that just uh, gives you a measure of the man and how ultimately relentless he is. Um, well, let's move on now to McLaren. Again, as I said at the start, a stunning final lap from Lando Norris. All started off very high profile. Carlos Sainz had started third on the grid, able to you know battle with Max Verstappen at the first corner. Poor pit stop or an unfortunate pit stop cost him a lot of time, and then he sort of faded backwards in the race. So, John, what did the team have to say? You uh, you went along and spoke to Andreas Seidel, uh, well, virtually as ever. What was good for McLaren and what was bad for McLaren today? Well, the, the bad point was the pit stop. Obviously, they were in a quite tight fight in that that pack once the um once the Red Bull had disappeared. They were kind of managing in that battle. And once you're in that tight midfield pack, if you lose two, three seconds and you get in a pit stop and get dumped behind cars, then it's it's game over, really. So then, you know, you're dumped behind them. You have to push harder. You're burning through your energy more. You're burning through your tyres more. And I think that that basically defined Carlos's race because it, it, it faded away. Whereas on the flip side, Lando's race kind of came alive towards the end. Um, you know, just when you think that this back problem or chest problem or whatever he had this weekend that may or may not have been a result of that Zach Brown bear hug last week uh, you just think he was fading and then he's there at the end and performs yet more brilliance at the end of the race Andreas Seidel spoke the other day and he was asked about having his drivers sort of together on track and obviously a nervous moment for anybody and we saw um, Norris and Science fighting I think for fifth at one point in last week's race and uh, he said that he would take it as a personal attack if they were to collide and cause any issues on track together but no they handled it all very smoothly today and Lando was just he's just absolutely on it like he's he's third in the championship which is incredible like, I think he's already sort of got over half of his points totals from last year I believe and he's he's just been so impressive to start the year um, another like a brilliant race. Uh, I think when it comes to your driver ratings, I think he's he's got to surely be a an, an eight or nine candidate, if not a ten, maybe. Um, great to see. Like it's really cool to see a young driver who's gone away after over the winter, works on himself and and delivers such improvements. It's awesome. 
Before Codos jumps in here, I'm just going to tell you that um, you're forgetting, Luke, that the driver ratings are from the whole weekend and Lando rather unforgivably picks up a grid penalty in FP1 for overtaking under yellow flags, which can't, I'm afraid, be forgiven because that is quite a serious offence. So over to you, Codos. I'm just loving the way that we're writing your driver ratings <laughs> for you and you're challenging us on them. But yeah, you are you are perfectly right. It is about the whole uh, weekend. And it, it was interesting that uh, Andreas Seidel in, in that, media session was explicit in the way that he apologized to Carlos for that poor pit stop and um, he, he, he did say our ambition must be to be more consistent with pit stop timing because that wasn't good enough it shows the sort of the level of detail he's bringing to, to that team that it, it, it was only a tiny delay uh, they had to reset the the, the wheel nut, but it was costly because he got dumped into traffic and he did actually get past Raikkonen fairly quickly. But it's a measure, like John says, that you know a, a small mistake like that can be hugely costly in a tight midfield. But the good news for McLaren is these two weekends have proven that car is strong. Um, you know, to have started, I think both times third on the grid once was due to a thanks to penalty, but that car's up there front at front end of that midfield pack. If we define you know, if we put Racing Point into either the, the front pack or ahead of the midfield pack, but, you know, McLaren's up there. There's still a question mark on, you know, does it struggle on high fuel? Um, is it much stronger on low fuel? Andreas Seidel wasn't convinced that was a definite so far, so we'll need, we'll need another weekend to see on that. But it's a quick car. It's together. You've got two great drivers. You've got Lando who's stepped up to the plate and they've obviously got a package underneath them that they know they can fight. Absolutely. Well, just before we come on to our final topics of, of this podcast, uh, as, as you're all having a great time trying to write my driver ratings for me, I do urge all listeners to go to autosport.com plus on Monday morning, where you can find out exactly what I gave everybody, if I haven't given it all away by the end of this episode. Is there a way for them to abuse you as well for your choices? Yeah, the forums. Get on the for- the YouTube channel. Are you going to be on YouTube talking about this? It is filmed now, yes, on YouTube, um, but I only want positive feedback, especially about my hair. Oh, good luck on that. Well, it's a good thing that there's only two people allowed in the studio at any one time now, the host and the cameraman. So uh, you just appear as a little thing on the screen like Max Headroom, don't you? Whoops, cultural reference will go over your head. Who's Max Headroom? No idea what that means. Just Google Max Headroom after the end of this podcast. I have no time for frivolous matters, Codders. You know this. It's all very important work to be done on a Sunday night. Uh, But yes, John, I do rate my hair. But moving swiftly, swiftly on... Let's go to Williams and George Russell. Luke, you and I, we had a very we had a very good chat yesterday about his fantastic qualifying session. Had a great start, went straight by Sebastian Vettel, who was admittedly having a very poor start, which got even worse when Charles Leclerc uh, got into him. And Russell, he, he undid it all. He was fighting with Kevin Magnussen just after the safety car restart because of the Ferrari drivers, the debris that, that, that had been caused in that incident. He tried to hang on around the outside of turn six with the Haas on the inside gets a bit of oversteer and he's straight off into the gravel to be fair he's held his hands up after the race I mean again not really much he could do it was uh, was a clear driver error but yeah unfortunate for Russell but yeah did, do you think he undid all his good work of Saturday it was a big error yeah and I think he after the race was pretty pretty accepting of that and put his hands up and, and said he just got it wrong and made a mistake and uh, but he also didn't sort of sugarcoat Williams's race pace struggles and he said that they came into um, these two weekends thinking that their qualifying pace would be the weakness and the race pace would be where they could really fight back and it's turned out to be the complete opposite of that that it's been qualifying and over one lap where they've been really strong uh, obviously nearly make Q2 last weekend and then did so brilliantly and almost make Q3 in the rain on Saturday uh, and then in the race he, he said yeah even without that area it would have probably been a, a long hard race that would have seen them sort of slip back and, and slump towards the bottom of the order so uh, yeah I mean it, it was still a big shame to see him make an error like that but you've also got to remember this is a guy who's not really been in many sort of wheel-to-wheel battles with lots of other cars with the exception of Robert Kubica since his F2 days like he, he's been in sort of they've been in their own territory at the very back of the grid and it is 
wonderful to see Williams no longer in that sort of uh, purgatory. Like they they made such a big step forward that they can actually now sort of get into these fights with with, with the other cars. And I think it's just really really good that uh, they were able to do that. So yeah, I'm sure George will learn from it. It's only his second year in F1, of course. Um, but yeah, it would have been really cool to see just how long he could have stayed in that fight with the the Haas and Alfa Romeo guys, um, particularly as their their race pace was was pretty poor all around. Well, what about a word for, for Nicholas Latifi? I think in qualifying, I think he, he, he showed very well actually in the wet conditions and was actually rather unfortunate with the Q1 red flag that actually helped George Russell because Latifi was one of the first drivers to, to come upon the end of his lap when the red flags were flying. And yeah, did, did, did seem to do quite well in the race. You know, obviously Russell's off put him behind Latifi and he did get back past, but he wasn't exactly, he wasn't exactly blown away. So Codders, what did you make of Latifi on his second Formula One weekend? I think generally not bad. And, and as you say, qualifying, he was kind of frustrated at every turn in Q1, wasn't he? So he had, I think, two, pretty much two fairly decent qualifying laps um, next because of yellow flags. And one, one of which, uh, you know, arguably the, the one that he had to abort because of Perez's spin might have got him through into Q2. So he was a whisker away from that. He was frustrated again by the, the red flag. So when you think of someone who, who has had, admittedly he has had a few runs in, in the car last year in, in FP1, but testing wasn't great for him. He seemed to have the majority of the failures. He had a little bit of a troubled weekend last week in terms of, of the technicalities. So he's, he's not really had a great deal of running in that car. So for him to be that sure-footed in the wet was very commendable. And in terms of the race today, like you say, I, I don't think that car's race pace is great. He was he was consistent. It wasn't quick. It wasn't dreadful. It was he was putting in one minute tens, one minute elevens, and just kind of plugging away. And if if you were going to say a driver was doing badly, then particularly at the back of the grid, then you, you would you would look to see much more variance in in the in the times. And he he was at least being consistently not hugely quick rather than inconsistently not hugely quick, which which points to me that he was kind of getting the most out of it while being careful not to break it. So I, I would imagine that they probably wouldn't wouldn't want to admit it. I, I, I think he was just being very, very careful not to break the car and, and run it too close to curbs. I think he, he probably either was obeying an instruction to bring it home or he just wanted to ensure he crossed the finishing line for his own confidence. Uh, so, you know, a, a fairly decent one. I, I'm not sure what you're going to give him in your driver ratings, but it would certainly be more than average. He, he, he rates over a five for that. I think it was, it was, it was a solid performance. No, no fireworks, but um, a, a decent performance from him in his second Grand Prix. But remember the ratings for the entire weekend and not just for the race. Well, you see, he was good in qualifying and, you know, not too bad in practice. So that will elevate him. Surely, Alex. It, it does indeed. It does indeed. He is well over five, but I won't tell you what the exact number is. And may I, he may even be level with George Russell. But uh, these are just these are just rough numbers that I have at the moment. I will be delving into the data. So let's end, if, 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 if we can, if we, if we should, we must. Sadly, we can't talk forever. We're looking ahead to next weekend. And John, I want to come to you because you are you are heading to Hungary. Will you be sad to leave picturesque Austria and potentially go into um, an uncomfortable quarantine in Hungary? What's your hotel like? I hope you've got a nice one. Well, luckily, I made the decision even before the nonsense appeared yesterday about the restrictions all the Brits are under, that uh, I'd got an apartment well out of town with a garden because I just thought there's no point going into into a big city and sitting in bars and restaurants it's not the year to do that so I was always going to be sat there with some decent space so luckily I've done that because we got the F1 teams and the media yesterday were informed that UK's and non-EU nationals uh, basically can stay in their hotels or accommodation and the track and that's it concern yesterday that it meant that if you uh, I was told at one point that arriving at the train station basically I then couldn't do anything including go to my accommodation because that would mean going outside so there are all these fears yesterday about people getting put in jail and 15,000 euro fines and stuff. But basically, they don't want people going out into town. You don't want 1,500 uh, mechanics and journalists and team personnel into the Hungarian bars and restaurants all weekend, which is fair enough. So it's going to be a weekend of sitting in rooms, watching Netflix or Amazon Prime or... Or working. Um, or watching Alex's driver ratings and... Um, Leaving abusive, abusive comments on, to, on, on the responses. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> fair enough. I, I, I could send you a link to the 
bodice ripping program on Amazon Prime that Mrs. Codling's watching right now. <laughs> I mean, it sounds racy. It really does, Codders. So yeah, feel well, free. It sounded racy to me while Toto's press conference was going on, and I was hearing the sounds of what what in the 1980s would have been described as rumpy pumpy going on through the wall. So anyway, it's going to be a weekend for Brits in F1 to get through the work and then we can all get home and go outside. And I think most of the teams have tried to downplay it as much as possible in terms of saying that they'll obviously look after everyone and, and make sure that everyone sort of adheres to any guidelines and it doesn't get caught out. Uh, Lando Norris was asked about it. Um, I believe he said that he planned to uh, go to his hotel room and play Call of Duty and get room service, which I do wonder how much actually diverts from his regular weekend schedule, to be fair, knowing his, <laughs> his uh, aff- affection for video games. Uh, but uh, no, it's, it's a definitely an extra headache that I think when the first T-Tus came out it obviously was a, a big concern and remember talking to you John and sort of saying oh how does this complicate things but hopefully everyone can sort of get through it all smoothly um, it's been a good start here in, in, in here in Austria I think it's been pleasing to see we've had so many COVID tests uh, getting close to 10,000 now I believe all coming back negative it's seen fairly smooth Uh by no means means F1 is out of the woods or anything like that. Obviously, there's still a lot of work to do. We are still in a pandemic, but it'll be really cool to get to the end of this triple header and say that it was a smooth, successful start to the 2020 season. This is going to be the story of the season that you race by race, it's going to be different circumstances and a, a different way of operating the weekend, depending on what it's like in the country. I saw a report last night that the, the 20 cities on alert basically in the UK for outbreaks and potential lockdowns, one of which is Northampton. You know, we could well find that, you know, one of the worst places that there will be a lockdown could be over British Grand Prix weekend. So as we found back in March in Australia, situations change so quickly. So I think it's still going to be a very unpredictable season. Indeed, but it'd be very much worth keeping an eye on, on, on the situation in Hungary because, John, as you said on a podcast we recorded a few days ago, the Red Bull ring is, is very isolated and now F1 is essentially going to be based in a city or, you know, the track is on the outskirts, but it's, you know, it's, you're putting a lot more people within, you know, a, you know, a greater population there. So it's certainly worth keeping an eye on. Codders, why don't, why don't we come to you? I want to give you the final word. What are you, what are you most looking forward to about the on-track potential of the Hungarian Grand Prix? I think it's going to be fascinating because this this is a circuit where for, for about the first 25 years of its existence, people called it the Hungar Boring. People used to not go to it. Do you remember Martin Brundle used to go on holiday and they'd have to drag someone in random to commentate for him because it's like, I can't even be bothered to commentate on this terrible race. And yet somehow uh, in the past few years, it's kind of come into its own. There have been a few changes to the track, a new surface, um, a, a remodelled um, sort of section at the end of the straight into turn one, and and it's kind of come into its own as as a racing circuit. Uh, the, the the drivers actually like it now. There's more asphalt runoff where there used to be just kitty litter in random places. So it, it's a more entertaining circuit at which to race. It's it's still a technical uh, challenge. There's um, certainly turn four, turn five. The at the top of the hill, blind entry, left hander. Um, can catch you out and having asphalt the runoff there nowadays really encourages people to to chance their arm it's quite a spectacular place races there have been exciting and unpredictable for the past few years now so it's it's a race I, I do now look forward to and I'm, I'm I'm sorry to to not be there so um, obviously obviously John you'll you'll be there I hope you have fun in that sort of slightly Will you be on the top deck or the bottom deck of the press centre? No, apparently, although this hasn't been confirmed, they won't even let us into the paddock. We'll have to operate in the photographer's room, which is outside the paddock as well. Oh, but. the BO zone. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. You'll, you'll need a, you need sort of like a lavender-scented face mask. We got given a, a Red Bull ring face mask today, so I'm sure we'll build up a nice, nice collection as the year goes on. I was talking to some friends about things that we will miss uh, for, for Budapest uh, next weekend. And uh, we say one of them was there's a, there's a really, really good nightclub. And we, we said that's probably just for in a pandemic and a time when you don't want to be near any sort of uh, sweat or fluid or anything like that. That is probably about the absolute worst place you would want to be. So as much as one may miss that, uh, I'm also very, very glad not to be in that kind of environment. Yeah, there was that really nice burger bar we dined at a few times last year, John, that we, we know obviously you won't be able to frequent now. My memory doesn't stretch back that far. 
Oh, I think I, I, I was sat at a table across from you guys. You were hurling abuse at me. Obviously, prior to our, our newfound uh, working arrangements. <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we, we do like to hurl abuse. Yeah, it sounds like such strange behaviour from, from you all. But why don't, we, why don't we end things there? Thank you very much to the three of you for coming on the podcast. And thank you to everybody for listening. Just before we go, we'd like to remind you that the latest issue of Autosport magazine came out on Thursday and is available on the supermarket shelves and in newsagents, as well as on the doormats of subscribers. There'll be a new issue of the magazine for you to pick up every Thursday, packed full of news, analysis and the usual stunning photography. And of course, if you want unlimited access to Autosport from the comfort of your home, visit autosport.com slash plus to find out how to subscribe to our digital package. We'll be back soon with another episode of the Autosport podcast. Music is 6am by Trilo, written by Marcus Simmons. See soundcloud.com slash Trilo Music. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The, is it morning yet, deal. How about now? Or now? Because morning time is McDonald's breakfast time. And that's the best time of all the times. Wake up with a little splash of sweetness. Get any size iced coffee from caramel to hazelnut to French vanilla for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.